We meet today in Psalm 101 and Psalm 102. Psalm 101 is a song to the king who rules in righteousness and judgment. It is also a Davidic psalm. It begins a little cluster or a little nest of six psalms from 101 to 106. That cluster speaks of praises to the king. The subject of the hymn book is all about him. Again, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the king of righteousness and peace, and he is going to reign on the earth. This is a psalm that could not fit into David's reign at all, so it must be a prophetic psalm. It looks into the future to the man whom God told David about, the man who would be coming in David's line. It wasn't about Solomon or any other in the Davidic line until Jesus was born in Bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of David. The Lord Jesus is the man about whom the psalmist is singing. Listen to the song as it begins. I will sing of mercy and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. Psalm 101, verse 1. You see, this psalm begins as others have done with singing praises to God. I will sing of mercy and justice rather than judgment. Now, mercy and justice don't get along together today, do they? It is difficult for men to hold them in balance, but God can do it. And we can sing of mercy and justice because it is to you, O Lord. Who is that? He is the king of righteousness and he is the king of peace. What a wonderful picture that is presented. And that is a wonderful picture presented of Jesus Christ, the only one, who can hold the two in balance, mercy and justice in good balance. Now, I would like to turn at this point to really talk about the expectation sometimes placed on those in authority. Because here, mercy and justice, righteousness, are crucial issues for societal uh, existence and even stability. Elsewhere, the psalmist said, Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. Elsewhere, the psalmist would tell us, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. And who matters? It is the leaders, the judges, those in authority. Now, the expectations placed on government leaders have never been higher than they are today. Yet from the Bible's point of view, the key responsibility of those in leadership are not political, social, or even moral. The key responsibilities are spiritual. Psalm 101 lists the characteristics expected of Israel's leadership, which should be the characteristics expected of any national leadership, because we all fall under the kingdom of God. And this should be something that the leaders of Africa must take seriously, because these are wonderful characteristics. What were they to be, as it will be 
highlighted in this psalm, I would like to mouthweight you before we actually read each verse to look at. They are expected to govern wisely without compromising their integrity. They are expected to completely disassociate themselves from wicked schemes and those who promote wicked schemes. They are expected to tolerate no slanderous talk and to dismiss subordinates who even appear to be using privileges to unfair advantage. They are expected to surround themselves only with the people who are faithful to the Lord. They are expected to purge their administrations of deceivers and liars, remove corrupt people, remove liars, remove deceivers. They are also expected to root out and destroy wicked people from the land, not just from the systems. Now, Two observations are in order. Firstly, kings were to put as much distance as possible between themselves and the evil. There was to be no walking a fine line between right and wrong. It needed to be decisive. Rather, they were to avoid temptation by surrounding themselves as much as possible with a clean environment. How are you doing, my friend? You who is in leadership position with regard to what you surround yourself with. And even as far as your integrity is concerned, what is this whole story about walking on a fine line? You are either right or you are wrong. Secondly, these leaders, they also needed to choose their advisors and assistants carefully. The spiritual quality of the people who served them would go far to determine the spiritual climate in which they governed. I would like to talk to you, my friend. Public servants today can only benefit by heeding what this psalm says. There is no question that politics tends to be a dirty business, but that only increases the need for officials who govern with a pure heart to be put in such a place. Psalm 101, verse 2. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Well, I don't remember David ever walking like that. The one whom we see here is the Redeemer, the only begotten of the Father. The king now speaks of the son of man. Notice that he was the son of man on the earth. In his work as the redeemer, he was the only begotten of the father. But he took his place in subjection to God's will. He occupied a lower place while he was on the earth. But he took it willingly. Now we attempt to get a higher place. He took a lower place in order that he might bring us to a higher place. Before his incarnation, Jesus Christ said, by the way, incarnation simply means before he came into the flesh, before he became a man, he said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Hebrews 
10 verse 7. While our Lord was on the earth, he stated that his meat and drink were to do the will of the Father who sent him, and he did perfectly his Father's will. He waited patiently for that hour called my hour when he wrought our salvation. He wrought your salvation and mine. Today he is at the right hand of God and he is still doing the will of his Father. He is waiting for that hour when the Father will send him into the world again because the Father has said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. We are told that when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him, who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. We read that from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28. Now this verse has caused a great deal of discussion. What does it really mean? Well, it means that after he reigns on the earth, subject to the Father, he is going back to his place in the Godhead, a member of the Trinity. But when he is on the earth, it is said of him, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the midst of the church, I will sing praise to you. Hebrews 2 verse 12. Now notice how Christ is going to reign and David never reigned like this. Here is Psalm 101, verse 4 to verse 8. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a hot look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall save me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Dr. Giblin uh, translates these verses a little more clearly. He says, a perverse heart shall depart from me, an evil person I will not recognize. Whosoever slandereth his neighbor, I will destroy him. With a lofty look and proud heart I will not suffer. Mine eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall save me. He that is given to deceit, shall not dwell within my house. He that speaketh lies shall not be established in my sight. Morning after morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all workers of iniquity from the city of Jehovah. Well, this is a picture of Christ's reign here on the earth. And during the millennium, you will not be able to take your case to the Supreme Court for the very simple reason that Christ is the Supreme Court himself. He is the only one who will judge. The Father has turned over all judgment to his Son, and he will judge every morning. They will have to toe the mark. The Lord is going to be a dictator, my friend, when he reigns on the earth, and everyone will do his will. 
this thing about democracy will not work in the millennial kingdom. Then they will sing a new song to the king who rules in righteousness and judgment. Psalm 102, the prayer of trouble and sorrow. This psalm is a messianic psalm that pictures the Lord Jesus Christ actually in Gates mind. The writer of this psalm is not mentioned since there have been all sorts of guesses as to who wrote it. I will guess that it was David. The inspired inscription of this psalm is a prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and pours out his complaint before the Lord. As you can see, this psalm pictures the affliction and the humiliation of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gatesmine. As we will soon find, the Holy Spirit has marked out this psalm as messianic in the New Testament. This psalm reckoned among the penitential psalms by virtue of the plaintiff's superscription and the despairing loneliness evidenced in the first seven verses. Listen to this. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Now here is a case where the Lord prays to the Lord. Jehovah prays to Jehovah. He came in humiliation, yet he was Jehovah manifested in the flesh. He was the Lord incarnate. In Genesis, we find a remarkable statement. Genesis 19 verse 24. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. You see, in other words, the Lord on earth asks the Lord in heaven to bring down judgment. We see the Trinity there. We have here in prophecy the prayer and the supplications with the strong crying and tears of Gates' mind. Hebrews 5 verse 7 tells us of it. And he was heard. But we find here that the wrath of the holy and the righteous God fell upon him because he bore our sins, my sins and yours. This is a wonderful picture and a glorious one as we look at this psalm. Now here we see the deepest woe and agony that man can have. This is why I insist it pictures the time when the Lord Jesus suffered that excruciating agony in the Garden of Gatesmine. As he prayed there, even his sweat fell down to the ground like drops of blood. Listen to this. My enemies reproach me all day long. Those who deride me swear an oath against me. Psalm 102 verse 8. You see, this expresses the depth of despair. The Lord went through all this, my friend, for you and me. In fact, Gates Mine has been known as the place of crushing. He was crushed in his spirit and even in his body. They took out the juice out of him so that you will be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Psalm 102 verse 10 says, Because of your indignation and your wrath, for you have lifted me up and cast me away. The words indignation and wrath 
are the strongest terms you can use in the Hebrew language. The Lord endured this. Why? He did it. For the joy that was set before him, as Hebrews 12 verse 2 tells us. And what was that joy? The joy was you and me to be brought into the kingdom of God. We who were once far away to be made children of God. We who were once not a people of God are now sons and daughters of royalty. Listen to this. But you, O Lord, shall endure forever. And the remembrance of your name to all generations, you will arise and have mercy on Zion for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time has come. Psalm 102, verse 12 and 13. Now, you will have mercy upon Zion. And so it was. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Hebrews 12, verse 2. You see, Jesus died for the nation Israel. John 11, verse 50 to verse 51 actually mentions that it was necessary for one to die for the nation. And Christ died for that nation. He not only died for all of us, but even for Israel. And he is going to build Zion again when he appears in his glory, which will be at his second coming. For the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. Psalm 102, verse 16. You see, our Lord knew that through his sacrificial death, Zion would ultimately be redeemed. I would like to read Psalm 102, verse 20 to verse 22. It says, To hear the groaning of the prisoner, to release those appointed to death, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem, when the peoples are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. You see, my friend, at this time, let me quote uh, a note from the Word in Life Bible on this powerful psalm which we are studying. That note will shed more light. Here is what it says. One of the worst things about going through tough times is that the stress and strain of testing tends to concentrate all our focus on ourselves. It is hard to be concerned about the needs of others when our own needs demand attention. Self-care is virtually important. In fact, if we neglect our own needs, we will probably be less effective in helping others. We will also tend to burn out. Yet while taking care of our personal concerns, it's also important to pass along whatever grace and strength God sends our way. At least that was the pattern of the writer of Psalm 102. The psalmist, you see, cried out to the Lord for the depths of profound personal distresses that is highlighted in verse 1 to verse 11. His prayer honestly expressed his heart. He felt that God had abandoned him to his enemies. His only hope was in the Lord's eternal nature and undying love for his people. Verse 12 to verse 14. Now, in the midst of his prayer, the psalmist envisioned God looking down from heaven to view the earth. And that is what verse 19 actually shares. 
This was a worthwhile exercise. It helped the psalmist look at things from God's perspective. The first thing the writer realized was that God could see him and people like him, the prisoner, and especially those condemned to die. The Lord could hear their groaning and would eventually release them. But the point of freeing them was that they would talk about the Lord in Zion, the center of Israel's religious life. In other words, the grace of God was given to the individual so that it would be shared with the community. In turn, the people at Jerusalem had a mission to live for God in a way that attracted other nations to worship and serve the Lord. That's the burden of this psalm, my friend. And that is also the point that we must learn. Whatever God's blessings would come and whatever he will allow you to go through, it is so that his glory might be manifested to others. Here is Psalm 102, verse 25 to verse 28. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloth you will change them. And they will be changed, but you are the same. And your years will have no end. The children of your servants will continue, and their descendants will be established before you. You see, the Holy Spirit quotes this passage in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10 to verse 12, and we would not have known that Psalm 102 was a messianic one if it hadn't pleased the author of the Bible, the Spirit of God, to reveal the meaning of this section in the first chapter of Hebrews. So Psalm 102 actually applies to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a prayer of trouble and sorrow. So this is the king in Gethsemane, his humiliation before his exaltation as set forth in Hebrews 5 verse 7, which says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear? Well, because Jesus suffered for us, he can sympathize with us. Psalm 102 is the psalm of Gates' mind indeed. He sympathized with us there. He even endured the cross that was coming his way because of us. We find comfort. He is able to help us when we go through temptations, when we go through suffering, because he himself suffered also. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please write to the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park 1620, South Africa. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me give you that address again. It's the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620, South Africa.